Great to have you here, you know, with us, Jason. Um, you know, I have so many things I want to cover in today's session. And, you know, great to have you on our masterclass, finally. Thank you. I'm, uh, I was just like so pleased and tickled to be uh, invited. So, yeah, I really appreciate it and looking forward to just talking and maybe helping some folks out with uh, how to think about experimenting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so let's dive right straight into it, right? So, you know, um, in the teaser post, we have like over 300, you know, comments and reactions on the LinkedIn post where people want to find out, right, about this crazy yeah. experiment that you ran, right? <laughs> we have like, what, a 200 plus thousand dollar budget. And then, you know, you have like $5.3 million in, in pipeline and one point something million dollars in, in close one revenue. Like, tell us all about it. Like, like um, you know, how did that come about? Yeah, yeah. So I'll talk about the situation that kind of drove it first. Mm -hmm. And then we can kind of we can talk a little bit about what the campaign actually was. And so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I it was last year, it was April, I think we all kind of know what was happening in April of last year, mm -hmm. things were crazy. We had a virus <laughs> going around. And, and, you know, for me, I had actually just started full time at metadata. I think on April 1st and, but I've been, you know, I've been consulting and advising metadata for six months prior to that. And so I kind of, you know, I understood what we were able to do over that six months and, you know, the number of demos and the demand and what that looked like. Now I was just scraping the surface back then because I was only part-time and I was the only marketer really um, at maybe a third time marketer. And so I came into the role and I had negotiated things like, well, how much budget are we going to have to spend in marketing? You know, all those things. And I land and it's like, oh no, everything's closing down. Everybody's not sure what to do with their budgets. And so I actually had my budget cut that we had originally agreed to before I came on full time. I had it cut by, I think it was like 60%. Oh boy. But the, but the goals didn't change. I was like, well, our goals are the same, but let's try and meet those goals with a lot less spend. And so I was just, I was nervous, but excited. And so that's kind of one of the first things I'd say, you know, that I like to talk about is how constraints can actually be a drive to innovation, a lead, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a lead into innovation. And yeah. so, but it's, you know, you kind of have to be careful, right? Because constraints can tip you over or they can be set at just that right point where, and here's the difference. It's like, if you're given a constraint and there's no part of your mind that can get to the point where you can say to yourself, I see a way of making that happen or you're not confident about it or yeah, you're just not confident in your ability to really do it. If you don't have that confidence or see a path to get there, a constraint can actually be paralyzing. Mm -hmm. And so you want to, ideally as a leader, you don't want to, you don't want to put those kinds of constraints in, but if it's the right constraint and the person receiving that constraint has the right attitude about it, you got mm -hmm. to have a positive attitude, right? Because also if you look at a constraint, even if you see a path to making it happen, but you're negative about it, even your attitude is going to affect your ability to hit that goal or to meet that constraint. A hundred percent. And for me, it was just enough. Cause I was like, I, 
I always have this in my in the back of my mind, this notion that it's gonna work out. You know, so in the back of my mind, I always have this positive, like glass half full kind of mentality that it's gonna work out. So usually if I'm given a constraint, I'm just heads down on it and I'm like, I even if it's really tight, I can see some kind of path, mm -hmm. or I tell myself, we're just gonna try as hard as we can and something may happen and we might get there. We don't know, you know, it could happen at the last minute, it could happen. So you know, all the way up. So, so one of the things that I like to do is embrace constraints, you know, so don't see, a lot of people can see constraints and then they get immediately negative, you know, and then the attitude pervades and then the attitude actually get, ends up being an obstacle to your performance and to being able to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So embrace constraints. I love this. So, love this. yeah, so we, so I embrace the constraint and I was like, we don't have as much budget and our goals are starting to increase. And so my first thought was, I need a free channel that I can leverage quickly to you know, start driving demand. And I immediately went to email, of course. I'm like, email, you know, nowadays there's very easy ways to buy emails, you know what I mean? Email addresses if you need to, you know, if you've got a subscription with Zoom Info or Sales Navigator, you know, you can really get access to email addresses, mm -hmm. business email addresses. But given my ops background, I hate email because of its trackability or lack of trackability. And the reason I say that is we all think email is highly trackable. It is, but the problem nowadays is that enterprises all the way down to even small mid-sized businesses have email spam filters now that don't just stop the email from getting there. It actually opens the email. It clicks through all the links in the email. And so your marketing automation system thinks, oh, look, somebody opened. And what you can do is you can see some of the data when you send the email. And like three seconds later, you get all these opens and clicks. You're like, yeah, probably not somebody just sitting by their email waiting for a marketing email to come in and clicking all the links real quick. <laughs> and so I was like, I don't want to use email because I never really will know what's working and what's not. Like, I might know at the very bottom end of it, right? Because somebody's going to then request a demo and I'm going to get their information and I'm, I'm going to maybe understand that it came from email. But all the early metrics, my leading indicators, my, like, is the subject line right? Is the preheader right? None of that is really going to work. So then I was thinking, hey, what about LinkedIn in-mail? Because I was thinking... Interesting. I get emails every once in a while, but usually it's from a salesperson mm -hmm. or it's from a recruiter. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking, well, what if I had the email, email come from me as a marketer and oh. just went to other marketers? Like people wouldn't expect that. So I'm always trying to think like what, because again, I'm marketing to marketers. Marketers can be very difficult to put, to break through with because they know all of the things. And I don't like to call them tactics because tactics makes it sound like I'm like plotting and planning and scheming to try it. <laughs> but they know all the tactics, you know, the marketers do. But what gets a marketer excited, well, me included, is when I see something new mm -hmm. that's interesting that I'm like, how did they, how did they do it? Or I'd like to be able to do that. Mm. Um, and so I, I was like, okay, we're going to try in-mail. I got the in-mail like ready to go. I had my target ready to go. 
and, and this, this the... was sending from yourself, right? You're sending yourself on behalf of the sales team. So if the person replies, you're just going to, you know, route them over to your sales you know, directors and your sales uh, account executives. Exactly. So it's basically, I wanted to see, hey, can I outbound as a marketer? You know what I mean? So basically, I'm, I'm, can, you know, will that be a viable tactic, which I mm-hmm. thought it would be. Because just thinking to myself, it's like, well, I would respond to a marketer coming to me, telling me like, hey, they use their own product to help them out from a marketing perspective. Let me hear about that. It's ideal. It's somebody that I can make a connection with and kind of build some trust pretty quickly. Um, but then when I logged in to LinkedIn to build the ad, I saw this beta product <laughs> said conversation ads. And I was like, what's this? And that's basically what I, where I got introduced to conversation ads. I was like, oh, it's basically like a choose your own adventure, like drift style, you know, intercom style bot playbook, but delivered inside of LinkedIn using LinkedIn's ad targeting net- networker capability. Mm-hmm. And so my thinking was, and especially with the cost, because I'm like, okay, you know, it's going to be 55, 60, 80 cents a send. I'm like, hey, I'm willing to pay that to get out of the email realm, Mm -hmm. to do something a little bit different, but then to have the laser targeting capabilities of LinkedIn kind of sitting on top of it. And so went back to the drawing board. I was like, oh, now I can create an actual conversation ad. I can like plan out a strategy. And so my strategy was we had low awareness at the time. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I need to take, I need to quickly, and you only get, you know, in these messages, you get 500 characters for each message. So I was like, I have to quickly establish rapport. I have to be relevant to them kind of like, yeah, just be relevant. So I'm somebody that understands your pain and then I need to so show some social proof because we don't have very good awareness. And then I need to try and get you in the funnel. And mm-hmm. so, but with further qualification and this really, this ad type really allowed me to do that. So I can ge- generate interest, give them some social proof, get on their level. I'm a marketer just like you. I've got aggressive pipeline targets <laughs> to hit. Guess what? I use my own platform to do that. Would you like, would you like an in, you know, would you like to see mm-hmm. it? And that was really it. And we started running it and it just took off. It really just took off. Um, I think I went from like 39 or 40 demos in March to 130 or 160 in April. Like, so in one month, um, and then it just kept, kept going from there. And so we really leveraged that channel and that campaign of course, with different iterations and optimizations and new audiences for the last year and some change, we keep using it. It's still Wait, one of our primary sources on, of on, on what works, right? Exactly. So if you yep. take a step back, right? Maybe pause here at this moment, right? Be- just before the success, right? When you identified this channel, right? We're going to run an experiment on this. I'm interested to know, A, how did you kind of like message this to your boss, right? Like your, your CEO, right? How, how did you like, hey, you know, I have this crazy idea. We're going to try this. And how do you message this to the sales team, right? Like, you know, this is what marketing is trying to do, right? How, how, did, how did that happen in the background? Yeah, well, one of the big benefits that I have is that our CEO, he built our product mm. to do experimentation. So he's... Yeah. He's all about experimentation. And so he's actually, he probably pushes me more. He pushes me to do more experimentation than I would probably be even comfortable with just from my background and just kind of how I am, which I really 
appreciate because you know it kind of it helps us find some new interesting things to do. Um, so really, I think the only idea he's ever said no to me about is <laughs> when so pandemic was starting to kind of fully roll and there was a toilet toilet paper shortage, right? Everybody, nobody. Well, I had actually got Sendoso to source some toilet paper rolls and I was going to do, I was going to send toilet paper <laughs> out as a gifting, basically, you know, through the, through Sendoso, the gifting platform and Gil kind of put, but later on, this was right in the heart of it. And I was like, this is edgy. I don't know how people will receive this. If they're like me, they'll find the entertainment value in it. Yeah. But we kind of poo-pooed that. I wouldn't say Gil was the one who fully poo-pooed it, but he was like, I don't know about that. You could, he's like, he gave me, he's like, you can do it if you want, but I don't know about that. And sure enough, we didn't do it. But um, the sales team were, were well, I mean, they were welcoming at that point. I mean, they, they, at first, so part of the offer is if you qualify, because we go through a pretty strict qualification, if you qualify, we'll give you a hundred dollar DoorDash gift card. And this was again, being again a pan pandemic, people were cooking at home and they were tired of cooking at home. And so this was also an interesting part of the offer. We'll give you a DoorDash gift card, hundred dollar DoorDash gift card in exchange for your time on a demo, if you qualify. So at first, before the campaign started running, sales was, and I also, I was worried about the hundred dollar offer. Is that gonna cause people to fake, you know, the interest just to come in and get a hundred dollars? So that's what I was worried about at first. So it wasn't until these started to come in and the meeting started to be had, then the sales reps were like, oh, wow. Like, A, we're getting some good titles in here because again, we could really laser target. Um, and the conversations are actually good. And half the time, people aren't even remembering about the gift card. And that's what I was hoping would happen. Now, I, I made sure the sales team knew, don't ever make them ask for it. You know, so if you have it, just yeah. immediately, you know, just send it. So I don't want to have somebody, hey, where's my gift card? You know, let's just put somebody in an awkward position. Um, but we started noticing that and that was a good sign, you know, that like, oh, they're, they're forgetting about it sometimes, you know, because they're actually interested. And then, of course, we had some tire kickers that would come in and pretend like they were interested to, for the gift card. But it was such a small percent. It was OK. And the sales team was OK with it because of the number of quality leads that they were getting. Mm -hmm. And we also had our SDR team that would further qualify them. So I qualified them pretty strictly in the ad. Mm -hmm. But then just to make sure, like if, it, if their title was a little bit more junior, mm. the SDRs would dig in a little bit more just to really make sure, you know, like, and, and they would do it in a really gentle way, but they would then disqualify, you know, a couple more, you know, some more people that way before then they ended up in the hands of sales. Mm -hmm. But so, yeah, the messaging was, was good. I think the whole company, honestly, our whole company is really all about trying trial and error. Failure is okay. Mm. So that's one thing though, when it comes to experimentation, it's a cultural shift first. So you can't be a marketer who's all about experimentation and enter a company that doesn't have a culture where it's okay to fail. Hmm. Because if the culture doesn't support it, experimentation means failure. You know what I mean? I mean, it, well, not I the definition it. if you look it up, but if you say I am an experimental marketer, it means you fail a lot and you're okay with it. And you know how to like iterate on that and come back from it. But and I've been a part of orgs too, where everyone says they're okay with it. Oh yeah, of course, experimentation, failure is gonna happen. And then when you're doing it, they 
they get anxious. They not they just meaning like the people, not just one like not just the CMO or they get anxious, they get nervous, and then oftentimes it's like that muscle memory. They go back to what they know. They go back to what they know has worked. They devalue experimentation, mm. and you you move back to an activity based set of goals versus a performance based set mm. of goals. Um, so you know, one thing is you can talk a lot about, we want to experiment, we need to experiment, it's the right thing to do. The company culture has to support it first. Mm -hmm. How do you test for that? So assuming that you are a marketer today, right? You're looking for a new job, right? You, you want to join a new team and, and like you rightfully said, right? Everyone, no one is in the meeting is going to say that, oh, we are not innovative, we don't experiment, right? Everyone's going to say that, yeah, you know, we, we, we experiment, we are innovative, but what are some of the questions that you can ask, you know, to turn the tables on your interviewer to, to get the ground truth on the company's culture? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you have to triangulate it. In my, in my experience, you kind of have to triangulate it because you're right. Every individual you talk to, they will have their own kind of flavor of like, well, yeah, we, you know, experiment. <laughs> but you might get one answer from sales, another answer from marketing, another answer from product. And so you kind of want to, you want to be able to meet with several people and really understand it. Another good sign though, is if your CEO happens to have ever been in marketing, mm. usually that'll, now that's a double-edged sword though, because like if they've been in marketing, then they often come with a lot of ideas that they think are good or will work. And sometimes maybe they haven't been in marketing for a while and it's, they're not really great, but on the benefit side, they understand the difficulty of marketing. And so, and that if they've been in that role, they wanted to experiment before. And so oftentimes just where the CEO came from, if they come up through sales, which most probably most CEOs do, then it's, it's, it's definitely making sure like, how do you value marketing? And then looking mm. at the size of the org compared to the rest of the company. So if you're coming into a series C company that's got a hundred plus employees, and the marketing size is three or four, that'd be a warning sign in my mind. Like you're not put, you know what I mean? Like where are the, where's the proof behind the fact that you value marketing? So I think it's starting with how does the company value marketing? Mm -hmm. That's the first gate you need to get through. And then the second one is, can people fail and still be respected here? Like, mm -hmm. do you have to come in and prove yourself first and then do it? You know what I mean? It's, like the old funny saying, like when you go to jail, like come in and punch the like <laughs> the, the strongest you, you person first, so you show that like yeah you belong there, like nobody yeah. will mess with you. Like do you is that what you have to do? You know, hopefully not. Um, although that always helps. It doesn't matter what culture you come into. If you have some quick early wins, that is gonna always help you. But but you want to know that that it's gonna be okay. That like you're gonna miss on some things. You're gonna spend. You're gonna waste some money. It's gonna be considered a waste, but it really isn't, right? If you're learning, then it's not a waste, really. Mm -hmm. um, but you're going to spend some money that doesn't result in a in revenue, you know. Um, and I think in an environment like that, there needs to be a lot of trust. So I think just really understanding the relationship culture within the company. Do we have personal relationships outside of the work relationships, and do we base our trust on those relationships? Because then, you know, you can always kind of come back to that, even if things aren't always working out perfectly mm -hmm. in the numbers. So. It's not easy, but in I've joined orgs where I didn't do that upfront work and I was 
sad at the at the back end, you know, ended up mm. having to quit because didn't see eye to eye, didn't have the same mm. thoughts on failure, experimentation, those kinds of things. Yeah, I, I hear you. I, I totally hear you, right? And, and so much of modern marketing, because of how fast things are changing, right? It, it, it's so crucial, right? That you have a culture that supports and nurtures, you know, th th this whole spirit of experimentation. So yeah. switching gears a bit and coming back to, to the, you know, really, really successful experiment that you guys run, right? Um, so what advice would you give for, you know, other marketers to come up with like similar crazy ideas like, like, like you, right? How, how do I, you know, like get this lightning, you know, boat that like, oh, one day I'm going to run like conversational ads and I'm going to yeah. offer people yeah. a DoorDash gift card, right? Like what, what's that process like? What's that thinking for that? How, how do ideas like this, you know, get kind of like bubbled, prioritized, sorted and, and you yeah. know, go from like idea to fully funded experiment? Yeah. So one of the things that you need is you need to probably start with your budget a little bit. So, you know, the first thing you want to do is you want to understand how much of my budget do I have to experiment with that doesn't need to work. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So that doesn't need to like hundred dollars turns into three, you know, mm. so you, where the, you don't need it to hit your goals. I get so, so it's I, kind of like discretionary budget. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. So, hopefully you have enough budget with your historical tactics to meet your goals and still have mm -hmm. a buffer in spend there mm. how do to you try new things out. How do you apportion it like what, 80%, 20%, 30%, 70%? How do you think about this? It's custom every single time. And for mm -hmm. me, almost every single month too. And oh. so what I do is I, I start with a demand model that basically I work backwards and say, okay, this quarter, we have this growth delta within the company. You know, we're going from one to $2 million, let's say. So, okay, I've got a growth delta of a million dollars. Then I use math to basically, in historical rates, to mm -hmm. tease that back to um, how many opportunities, you know, how many opportunities do I need? How many leads do I need? How many demo requests do I need? And then I have a average CPL that I understand to get to that goal. And so if I do the math and let's say my budget's $3,000 for a month and I've done the math and I'm like, okay, I can meet my minimum goal with $25,000 of that, mm -hmm. you know, again, to the best of my knowledge from historical data and what I know I'm gonna do. So then it basically, that's the easiest way to say, great, I have $5,000 to test with because I don't need it mm -hmm. to meet my goals. And so then that's the easiest way if you end up having a buffer and if you know some of your unit yeah. economics. That, that makes a ton of sense. But I guess the danger with this comes when you are falling behind your goals, right? And then like, now shit, yeah. every single dollar matters. And like, ah, you know, do, do we still want to come out, you know, money for experimentation? So how do you think about that? Yeah. So that's the second way, which is not as fun. <laughs> you know? And this is probably, this is probably the majority of people are living in this world where it's like, well, yeah, I'm looking at my goals and man, I might even have less money mm. to get there than I, than I need, than I think I need. Then it takes actually some faith and some confidence because you still like, and it's almost even more important at that point. So if you if you work your numbers up and you realize I need $40,000, not $30,000, mm -hmm. then you kind of already know 
even if all this stuff works out, like I think it is, I'm still not going to hit my goals. Well, that's a great, great a number one reason to, exp you know what I mean? And then you're like, well, I already know I'm not going to hit it with the historical stuff and the past tried and true things I've been doing. So I need to experiment. So in that case, then it's almost like an efficient frontier. You want to see like, well, how much can I spend of this budget to get like the most efficient leads in the mm -hmm. historical and kind of tried and true stuff, but then try and reserve 20% mm -hmm. or more, especially if you're in this negative, like inverse situation where you don't think you're going to be able to hit with what you have 20% or more, because you need to put your best foot forward on these experiments to really see if they're going to work out. So mm -hmm. one of the worst things that you can do in experimentation is half-ass it, oh, basically. I was going to say that. <laughs> because if you do, now there's a difference between half-ass and MVP. What you want is an MVP, mm -hmm. but that MVP, you need it to be as close to the end experience that you're going for mm -hmm. so that you can actually put your best foot forward and see is this yeah. attack. That's give give work. me an example. Give me an example of what does a half-ass experiment look like. Yes. So a half-ass experiment would be a new random direct response offer to just a broad, broad audience. So let's say you just say like, okay, um, I just need some hasty demand. I'm just going to throw up a demo request campaign. And I'm just going to toss it at a, the most audience that I can. Well, you're probably wasting some audience. You might've already hit them before you. That's actually probably not, that's actually not the best example of a half-ass. Let me give you a better example. That's, a, that's just an example of like a, uh, like I'm running, I'm like really running behind tactic, but like a half ass on an experiment <laughs> would be, um, let's say there's a critical aspect of the offer that you need to have happen. Let's say it's a free, like a free, something freemium. You know what I mean? Like something, there's like some kind of free trial or free thing mm -hmm. that you want. Half ass would be either the, that, that free trial experience doesn't really even do it justice to your products. You're maybe even downselling it. So let's say you're like, well, I can't really get them into the product, but I'm going to get, I'm going to create like a separate environment. Mm. And that environment is going to be, it's going to have limited features and it's not going to be a true environment, but it's going to give them more of an experience. Well, you actually might be doing yourself disservice. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? By saying, well, at least they can try it. Well, there might've been actually more benefit in the curiosity of what it's like and then getting a demo than just turning somebody onto a like a half or a poorly built demo environment for mm. example so that could be one where you're like well you have all these excited ideas well yeah if we just had a freemium offer or like some kind of free trial we'd be good you put that free trial in and it doesn't pan out the way you think it is because the actual experience in that free trial isn't the same as what it would be in the product so that's that would be an example i would say of a half half-assed one, mm -hmm. but there's an MVP way of doing it, for example, where you still aren't going to deliver the entire experiment, like what the end campaign would end up looking like. You're not going to deliver that, but you're going to deliver just enough of it to where you can understand, is this going to be a viable way to get demand? And so an example of that would be, a very easy example would be trying email first for something. Mm. All right. I have, and just having them reply to you instead of going to a landing page, et cetera. So an easy way to do that would be, all right, I have a set of prospects that I think have a specific use case or a complimentary product or something I know about them that I want to message them. Great. I'm just going to email them. And instead of saying, oh, go register for this on the landing page or whatever, I'm not even, I'm just going to try and put my message in the email. Hey, if you're interested, just reply to me. Mm -hmm. Great. Well, and then you send it to a limited number of people, a thousand people, maybe just enough to where you can see like, is this going to be interesting? Is this offer going to be interesting to that audience? Mm -hmm. And then if it is, Great, let's expand 
the acquisition part of it. Let's expand the offer. Let's make it a little bit more formalized. Let's build a landing page and tell more about it. And then the expectation is no matter what, it's going to perform better than your MVP did. Mm -hmm. And then now you're saying, well, I'm just going to add on to the MVP. Yes, yeah, so the MVP would be like your most conservative view of what would happen. And if that looks promising, mm -hmm. then it gives you like that license to say, okay, let's go actually put the resources behind it and build out the rest nice. of it. Nice. I love this is gold. This is gold right here. So if you could summarize in one to two sentences, right? How would marketers know if they are half-assing something or they are kind of like making a very calculated MVP, you know, a version of, of a campaign? How, how would I know, right? Like if Trust I, I, your gut. This one is really <laughs> kind of gut. It's a little bit of gut. Uh -huh. Here's the way I do it now. And it's taken me 40 years to get to this point. <laughs> if I have literally any qualms about something in my mind, if I'm like, oh, I don't know if that, I pause. Hmm. I just pause and I rethink it because what I'm trying to avoid is I don't want any, I don't want anyone that's in my funnel to think that they got there in some weird, backhanded, bait and switchy way. I want it to be so authentic and straightforward all the way through it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think just really having, you know, keeping something like that in mind and keeping in mind that at the end of the day, would I feel comfortable standing up and presenting this to a whole set of customers, prospects, my CEO, would I feel really good about it? And would I feel really good about like providing every single intricate detail about how I got somebody in there, mm -hmm. what they're going to convert, you know what I mean? And is, yeah, so I, it's a lot of a gut feel, but because you're not trying to, this is the this is the balance between quality and speed, right? Mm -hmm. And so you also have to have that, you have to understand when enough is enough. I've worked with so many people in my career that don't have that, right? And I'm actually one of them. In some cases, I'm actually one of those people where my view of what's done enough is gonna differ from my CEO's view, for example. And so, I think being open to flex a little bit, but having a line of where like, okay, we're not going to, you know, we're not going to go beyond this line. Or we're not going to go below this line. Mm. Um, it's just good for your brand as well, you know, cause you don't want your brand to seem like it's just trying to test a bunch of stuff, you know what I mean? Erratically and like just trying to see what, you know, you also, everything that you do also has an impact on your brand. So mm -hmm. you want to really be considering, A, the number of experiments that you're running at, a, at any given time, mm -hmm. but also, and this is really where it comes together, is like being really formal around how you manage the audiences that are seeing the different experiments. Mm -hmm. So what you don't want is you don't want to intermix audiences across a bunch of different experience or experiments to the point where they're in that, I've done this exact same thing. So here's, I had one DoorDash offer that was for $100. I had a $200 Amazon gift card uh -oh. offer, a separate one. Mm -hmm. nice. I bled the audiences. Two to three people came to us and was like, well, I have the $100 one now, <laughs> but two weeks ago it was 200, you know, and there's a different offer I don't understand. Mm. That's not a great experience for my mm -hmm. brand. You know what I'm saying? So, 
And also I'm selling marketing advertising software, right? And so it's like, if I'm getting that wrong, they're going to assume I'm using my own software, which I do. Now it wasn't my software's fault. It was my strategy's fault, mm. right? And so, but being a marketer of marketing software, I have to be really careful with that. Cause again, people are going to just make the leap. Well, he's using his own software. So if he's making these mistakes, is it the software that caused that or is it him? And so that's just one of the examples and where I've gone wrong too. So hey, everybody out there listening, sorry if you've got more than one door, more than one conversation <laughs> for me with different offers in it. My bad, 100% my bad. I don't blame LinkedIn. I, I love this. This is so authentic, right? And, and you're, you're so vulnerable in, in, in sharing, you know, your mistakes. So I'll double click a little on when you say, you know, this whole formal segmentation of, of, of um, you know, the campaigns, right? And if you zoom up one more level higher, right? Like, how do you think about formalizing this whole culture of experiments, right? Not just the segments that you go after, but the kind of experiments that you run, how much budget, what's the success criteria. And the last time that we were speaking, right, you said that, you know, you kind of like were trying out this new um, framework that you got from, yes. you know, um, um, Guillaume, am I pronouncing his name correctly? Yeah, yep. um, Kevin. So yeah, yep. you know, could you share with us more, more about that? Yes, I love it. So. Uh, like you mentioned, Guillaume Caban, he's a mentor of mine from like the ops side. He is an ops, he's a marketing ops, just whiz. Um, and he's got like so much energy too. I wish I had like half his energy. But um, through my mentorship with him, he showed me this experimentation framework that he was using. Probably a year ago, he showed it to me. And I was like, oh, that's great. It's an Airtable. You know, I was like, oh, and I wasn't, I wasn't using Airtable at the time. Like, oh, this looks amazing. Like from, because again, I have an operations background. I was like, this is awesome. I want it. But I was a one person marketing team and I just didn't have, and this framework is fairly formalized. And so I was like, I just, I'm not ready for that. So I use my own just like kind of stuff between last year and this year. And finally this year, it, it wasn't so much that I got a lot more time. It was, it became actually a necessity because we started to do more experiments and just managing them ad hoc, which just wasn't working well. You know, it was like, oh, it's a spreadsheet, it's in Asana, it's in, you know, where is this? How do we plan these out? How do we know what we're doing? And then even similarly importance, how do I communicate what we're doing? How do we report on what we're doing all this experimentation? And so what this framework does is it gives you a way to first collect, right? So you wanna collect all the ideas. What are all the ideas that we have internally, but also you actually externalize a form to the rest of the organization, your CEO, head of sales, just gives them a, a place to come and input an idea that they have. That they and this works so much better. Like right, right now I go to my team all the time. Hey, I have this idea. Hey, I have that mm -hmm. idea. And it drives my team crazy, right? Like now if you yeah. have a formal yeah. way like, hey, Gabriel, put this idea into the form and we will stack oh, yeah. according to every other idea that we have. Yeah, and I have like seven different ways that Gil sends me ideas. You know what I mean? Our CEO, I'm like, he's, he WhatsApps me, he emails me, we talk, I lose track of it. So no, I'm, yeah, in the same way. And, um, and so just having a place to collect it all mm -hmm. and have it there to start with, that's, that's awesome. like a big, that's a big part of the pain. You know what I mean? That solves a big part of the pain. Mm -hmm. But then it gives you a way to add your, what are your impact metrics? So what are the things you're trying to impact? So usually for a marketer, it's going to be demo requests, site visits, content download, content engagement, video view, you know, all your like success metrics. You add those to the air table and you basically, ideally you have enough data. So you understand what's the relative revenue value for each of these activities. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So like 
So you can ideally trace it back from a closed one deal to an opportunity, to a meeting, to a stage opportunity, five, four, three, two, one, demo request. The actual specific value is not as important as the difference in values between like your, your lowest touch kind of a KPI, which is a website visit probably, or an ad click maybe even, and your highest like importance one, which is probably a meeting booked or all the way down to closed one revenue. Mm -hmm. And so having those ordered, so you have your impact metrics and then you, now you've got all your ideas. Now you start to add data to your ideas. Things like, well, what metric is this gonna impact? Well, when you assign that, behind that is, well, what does that equate to in revenue? How many more of these do I think I'm gonna get in a month or annually? What's my confidence level in that? So you add these data points and then it basically turns it into, well, how much revenue can I expect from this experiment? Mm -hmm. Now it's not gonna be exact. You're just looking though for a relative split, right? You just want something that's gonna order them by the most important things to do. Oh, you also add how many days is it gonna to take to build? Cause it's gonna take that into consideration mm. too. So it's gonna float the highest revenue opportunities with the lowest effort to mm. the top. And so you're automatically just gonna see the ones like the low hanging fruit basically. And so then you have different statuses of these experiment ideas, idea, impact scored, building, Awaited, you know, running, awaiting results, you know what I mean? Oh, you've got these different statuses. And so then you start to assign things to different statuses and you basically assign them to a person, they go build them out, you run the experiment and you come back and you've got data associated with it. And then at the end of it, it's basically the decision is, do we promote this to be an evergreen kind of mm. a thing that we just run or does it go to the graveyard because it didn't like, it didn't meet the initial criteria. Mm -hmm. And that's really it. And we started using this really recently we had a, we were using a flavor of it that didn't have nearly, it was mainly just like, how hard is this gonna be to build and like impact? And that was really it. Now we've got all these da other data points and just other things to look at. Also the surface area that the experimentation is going on in. So in marketing, you have all these different areas that you can impact. The website, the biggest one, paid advertising, organic like social media stuff. Like there's just so many of these different specific areas you can touch. And ideally you're running an experiment or two across each surface area at any given time. Now, of course your resources are gonna make it partly dependent on that, but you know, that way you can like easily see, well, do I have, a, do I have an ex at least one experiment running on the website right now? Uh, or when was the last experiment we had on the website? Because, uh, or what was the last time I ran an experiment to try and you know, increase our organic reach? Or, you know what I mean? So you can kind of make sure that you're testing different well, things in areas that you know have an impact. Um, and spreading those out and not focusing too much just on like email, for example, and mm -hmm. too much or on paid advertising or the website. Uh, you're spreading your time around. Mm -hmm. Like how, how, how do you run a cadence around this though? Like what's the cadence mm -hmm. like? Do, do you guys like, you know, come together every week to look at what new experiments to run? When do you close the loop on, you know, um, you know done experiments? And yeah, how, how do you think about that? We have, uh, we have a, a checkup meeting every week. Um, and in that meeting with the broader team, we are looking at, okay, where are we at with these things? Do we have any results that we can talk about? Do we promote them? All right, what's next on the backlog basically, you know, and what do we want to assign out? We're starting to work in two week sprints basically on these things. And so we'll assign something to a sprint. Interesting. Um, I like you guys working in sprints, you know, similar to the whole engineering, you know, um, yeah. agile. Yeah. Yeah, it's the, it's the best way I've found. I've been using sprints and marketing for probably five or six years now. And oh, I found awesome. it to be, yeah, I found it to be the, 
because it's just hard to tell how long stuff is going to take <laughs> to build out in marketing. You know what I mean? And so it's like trying not to assign a hard date to everything, but just moving things forward and then basically picking the thing that's going to have the next biggest impact mm-hmm. and working on that. Um, especially with a teams with limited resources, like you almost, I don't know how you do it without agile, something like that. Mm. But, so yeah, two, two week sprints. Um, and we're just starting to get into that cadence. So basically at the end of a two week sprint, all right, what were we able to accomplish that we said we were, what we, what didn't we accomplish? Then put we, what we didn't accomplish back into the whole backlog, reprioritize, reassign, start working on things. And that's some of the benefit of experimentation is that most of the things that you're going to be doing won't have a hard date associated with them, mm-hmm. right? Because it's usually optimizing something that's already out there or trying something brand new that's mm-hmm. usually not tied to like a product launch date or, you know, some kind of deadline. Because like with events, product launches, you're, you know, that's on a cadence. You might want to try something new with one of those, but it's usually not like a time-bound experiment. Mm-hmm. Got it. So when you mean that you guys operate on two-week cadence, I, I, I totally get that, right? But does that mean that each experiment runs for two weeks as well or, or not necessarily? Yeah, not necessarily. So mm-hmm. usually for me, I associate a budget to an experiment. Mm-hmm. And so how much do I want to spend on this before I take a look, before I pause it and look at results and decide if it's something that we're going to continue to do or not? Or if it's an MVP, then decide if we're going to fully build it out. And so ideally I try and spend as much as I can as fast as possible, because in my mind, it's going to take the same amount of spend to get to the answer. Mm-hmm. Time is flexible, right? So, well, if it's going to take me a thousand dollars to get to the answer, do I want to spend that thousand dollars over 10 days or one day? Well, I want to spend it in one day, I, you know I, what I mean? So I can get to the answer faster. Mm-hmm. And so I'm usually thinking about how much money do I want to spend on the experiment? And usually that's informed by some kind of, you know, like some kind of data, like, Either I know what my CPL has been in this kind of tactic before and it's a slightly different one. So, okay, I'll spend a thousand dollars or brand, brand new. I need to let it run for a little while. Okay. $5,000 or something that we're highly confident in that we just haven't done before, you know, more money. So it's not just a blanket, like, Oh, every experiment gets $2,000. It's, it's basically considered, you know, for each one and based on what we think we're going to be able to do with it. Mm -hmm. Got it. So how has having this formal, more formal way of running experiments and this ad table, you know, um, um, framework, you know, benefited you personally as, you know, a head of marketing as well as, you know, the marketing team in general? Yet to be seen, but here's what my expectations are. Mm -hmm. So beforehand, it was all ad hoc. It was... We think we should be doing this. We think we should be doing that. I try in the beginning of the month to basically split out like, okay, here's my marketing budget. Here's what I'm going to spend on these things. Here's, you know, ideas for this. Here's ideas for that. But we were, we were too close to the month we were trying to affect. Mm. So we weren't planning, you know, we weren't quite planning enough. And so, but that's how everyone really needs to start. So you start with like this informal way of like trying things out and informally tracking things and, but then you get to the point where you're like, well, this is just not working anymore, you know, and I'm maybe either leaving money on the table or for us, it was, we we're having a hard time communicating what we're doing was one of the bigger challenges. And so moving to the formal one, what it's doing is it's a, it's helping to just visualize everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And in a way where it's not just all in one big list, it's actually broken out by here, are the things that are in the backlog, here's what we're actually building here. And then we can start to make sure that like, well, is any one person 
overcommitted or are we just overcommitted as a team in general on some of this, given what we other things we have to do. So just being able to kind of quickly assess like, do we think, you know, do we have enough experiments to run, you know, do, do we think it's reasonable, you know, to kind of get this stuff done? Looking at it, making sure that the surface areas are covered, you know, so I've, I've got a visual that I can look at and make sure that that's, that that's covered. And then having a more formal way to get the learnings at the back end. So what did we learn from this campaign? What metrics did it impact? Did we meet the goals or not? If not, why do we think that was the case? And what did we learn so that we can inject that into future experiments? Mm. And that's the most, that's one of the most important things that we weren't doing before we'd anecdotally remember it in our heads, but that's like one of the worst places to have it is in your head because you'll know it. But then as soon as your marketing partner tries to run something, they won't and they'll run the same problem again. And now you're learning, you're paying to learn something twice, which is what you want to avoid. Um, so yeah, that's, that's how we approach it. Got it. No, this is awesome. Cool. So I, I, I see that we are at time, but you know, Jason did, this was fantastic. You know, I, I learned a ton, a ton of like, you know, nuggets in there that, that uh, I think our audience can definitely find useful. Um, yeah. So, so, Thanks so much for, for taking the time, Absolutely. you know, on this masterclass and sharing with us about your your way and your approach of uh, approaching experiments. No, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on.